The incredible thing about that power is that the power of the gospel flows through you as the conduit that God uses to dispense uh, the message of the gospel in the hearts and lives of others. When I watched one of the specials on the World Trade Center, I wasn't so much focused on the planes that were flying into it as much as those who were willing to lay down their lives for the sake of others and rush into those buildings knowing that it was not going to probably end well the police officers, the firefighters, others trying to rescue those who were about to be perishing. And this is really the same commission Jesus has given to all of us as we are to go into all the world and make disciples and teaching them about all that Christ has taught and leading them to a, a faith and to trust in Jesus as their Messiah, as the one who can ultimately bring change and power into their lives for healing and, and deliverance. Um, from the evil one's power over them and healing of the soul where we have been so broken and bruised and filled with a lot of things like depression and anxiety and anger and bitterness and all those things that we deal with day in and day out. So I want you to look at yourself and think of yourself as a rescuer because that's what you are. God has given you a message. He's given you a life story and he's given you the gospel. Your life story becomes the bridge by which you share the gospel with somebody. If I just share my life story, but I never bridge it into the gospel, all I've told them is my story. The goal here is to get to Jesus' story. We want to unpack Jesus' story because that is the power of the gospel. Your life story can tell about how that power has affected you, but for that power to affect them, they must understand the gospel and receive the gospel as the Bible presents it. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you'll turn to page number seven in your uh, book, Last week, we looked at an example of Jesus and how he did this. He was a master at engaging conversations with people. He would uh, find common ground. Remember, we use, the, we use the word care. He found common ground with people, the woman at the well. Uh, he was thirsty. She was at a well. And so he began to engage and talk about thirst, right? And then he moved that into a gospel conversation, talking about he being Messiah, he being the living well, that if you drink from him, you will never thirst again. And then A was for accepting. you got to accept people where they are. He didn't condemn her for the fact that she was a broken and bruised woman. She'd been through five marriages. Now, you can't go through five divorces without having an impact and a tremendous influence upon your life. And just leaving you broken and riddled and the man she was living with, uh, they weren't even married. And so uh, that came in the conversation. Jesus didn't condemn her. He accepted her where she was because... She, he knew that he had the power to absolutely change her life, to heal her brokenness, to change her life. And so you have to risk, as the R, you risk sharing your story. You risk, risk sharing the gospel with somebody, and then E, expect God to do what only God can do. Okay, you're not responsible for a, a person's response, but you are responsible for the message. And that's what God has given to us. It's your life message. Your life message is what God wants to say to the world through you. And if you don't share your life message, you're going to rob the world of a message they need to hear from you. So God has placed you in a, a neighborhood, a place of business, school. You have all kinds of relationships, and you are the missionary in that relational world that you have 
and you have a, sh- a story to share, and people need to hear your story. So this is what we want to talk about in 1 Peter 2, 9, on your outline, it says, you are the ones chosen by God, God's instruments to do his work and to speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he has made in your life. Now, there are four parts to your life's message. Three of those are unique to you, and one is universal. The universal one is not in your outline. I'll give that to you. Somehow it got left out. So the three things that are unique to you about your life's message is your testimony, right? How you began your relationship with Christ. Now, some of you, you know, you were brought to church since the time you came out of your mother's womb. That's my wife's story. I mean, from the time she was born, she was in the nursery of the church. She grew up in the church. Some of you, maybe you grew up in the church, you made a decision for Christ early on in life, but then you rebelled. You walked away from everything and you rebelled against it and then later came back. For some of you, maybe you were late in life coming to Christ or maybe you were a teenager later in life, whatever it was. You have a unique story because nobody's story is just like yours, although there might be some common factors. You have a life lesson. That is, these are important things God taught you. All throughout your life, God is constantly teaching you things. I hope you write those things down and don't just trust your memory because God is constantly teaching us things that, become, that can be engrafted into our life story. Watch this. That gives us a common ground with somebody else. Right? It, and it might be that you haven't gone through exactly what they've gone through, but you have, you've experienced some stuff. Like uh, maybe the death of a parent, okay? If you've experienced the death of a parent, it might be that uh, you know somebody whose who's, uh, parent died unexpectedly at a young age, I mean, just like that. Um, and, you know, you, you have a bridge right there, you, a common ground with them. You know, I don't know exactly what you're feeling. I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I have had a similar experience. Do you mind if I tell you how God helped me navigate through that very difficult point in my life? That's a transition right into your life story that transitions into the gospel. All right, so part three is life's passions, your passions, things that you value, issues that you care about deeply um, is a part of your story. Now, here's the unique. This is not on your outline. You just jot this in there. The universal part is this. Part four, which is the good news. It is the gospel. That is universal for all of us. There's only one gospel, and uh, we'll talk about what that is and what it looks like, but that must, that again, the ultimate goal is for me to share the gospel with somebody, even though I may start with my life story, I just want to use that as a bridge into the gospel because that's where the power comes. So let's start about sharing my testimony and I'm going to hit some highlights here and all of this is in your book. I'm not going to read everything to you, but I do want to hit some highlights. Sharing my story. A personal testimony is the most persuasive form of communication. Here's why. Because you're a satisfied customer, right? So, for example, if you look at all advertisement, the the best advertisement out there is, hey, I tried their product. It worked for me. I'm sure it will work for you. Man, until I found Tide, uh, I had ring around the collar, but then I got rid of that. And I'm going to tell you it worked for me. It's going to work for you. So, you know, even Madison Avenue knows that the power of selling something is found in finding people who will give their testimony. And the Bible is full of testimonies, and this is in your book. Um, David says, come and listen, and I will tell you what God's done for me. The woman at the well, we talked about her last week, the man born blind. Remember, he's born blind. And, and so the Pharisees were agitated about that, that Jesus healed this guy. 
and they demanded to know who did this and, and how that happened. And I love what he says. You know what? All I know is this. I don't know whether the guy's good or bad, but here's what I know. I was blind, but now I can see. Amen. Right? I was blind. That was all I know, but now I can see. So as far as I'm concerned, he's Messiah. Uh, Peter and John, we cannot stop telling about the wonderful things that we've seen and what we've heard. And Paul, on six different occasions, just between Acts 22 through 26, he shared his testimony and bridged it into the gospel for those who were listening to him speak. And even Jesus himself says, I speak only what I know by experience. It's not by hearsay. Uh, it's not secondhand information. This is the beauty of your story. It's not hearsay. It's not secondhand information. It's not something you read in a book. It's not something you heard on a podcast. This is your story. And here's the, here are the six things about your story. Number one is it is unique. Nobody else has one just like yours. Again, if you don't tell other people what happened in your life, that story will never be heard. It is personal, so it's easy to understand, right? Again, you're building a bridge into people's lives. It's, people love to hear stories. I love to hear people's stories. Mara and I, when we're out on vacation, we love to go places and be, just be able to hear people's stories and just, hey, tell us your story. You are, an, a, here's the, you are an authority on your story, so it's difficult to argue with it. Right? So I've shared this before. When I was in seminary and I was doing evangelism exposure training, so I was taking guys out and teaching them how to share their faith, and we came across a man, and he was very well-read, um, but he was a little sour against you know, religion, as he says, and so he started arguing with me about things, and um, so I just, you know, you know buddy, I'll go toe-to-toe -to -toe with you, and we did, went back and forth for about 20 minutes, and it's like the Holy Spirit just said, hey, Greg, shut your mouth. Share your story. So I shared my story. He can't argue with my story. All I know, I was a battered, bruised, bitter, broken young man on drugs and alcohol. I found Jesus, and he changed my life forever. You can't argue with that. So then that gave me a segue into the gospel. Do you mind if I tell you how that change came about? Now he's interested in, well, what is your story? So I shared the gospel. Did he give his life to Christ that night? No, he didn't. Uh, but... He heard the story. He heard the gospel, the good news. Number four is people love to hear personal stories. They remember them. People can relate to it. Listen, if you're struggling, they can relate to that. If you can, if you can say, you know what, I, I've, I've struggled in that same area. You know, I, I battled depression half my life. Can I is, is it okay if I share with you how God helped me out with that? People, yeah, I'd like to know how'd you, how'd you battle your depression. So there's all kinds of areas in your life. In our postmodern world, it may be our most effective witness. Listen, a lot of people don't accept the Bible because they've been taught all of their lives that truth is relative. I mean, it's just, it's just not, uh, they don't believe the Bible. They, they believe that, you know, uh, you've got your truth, I have my truth, and we might meet somewhere in the middle and so you share your story because your story is, is it's, it's just effective. And uh, in fact, as, as a pastor, I'm less effective than you are in sharing your story. Because here's the reason why. Because when they, people find out I'm a pastor, if I share my story in the gospel, they're thinking, oh, he's just a salesperson, right? He, he's just trying to sell me something. You're the satisfied customer. So who would you rather believe, a salesperson or a satisfied customer? 
If I walk onto a car lot, I ain't believing the salesperson, but I'll, I'll believe somebody who's a satisfied customer. This is why I don't tell people I'm a pastor. Unless, you know, because you know what men do. Those first words out of their mouth. Well, what do you do for a living? You know, if I meet them on the golf course, wherever it might be, what do you do for a living? So I just kind of skirt around that sometimes. Well, I'm a teacher. Or, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a counselor. I help people. <laughs> so, because I, I don't want that to become a, a, a barrier right out of the gate. So here's what 1 Peter 3.15 says. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I want you to underline that. The hope that you have. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us to share our faith. It tells us to share the hope that we have. You see, your faith is what brought you to hope, but your hope is the benefit of that faith. In other words, when I'm sharing my story, I just don't want to spend all of my time um, you know, sharing um, a certain aspect of my story. I, I want... People want to know, okay, people don't care if you're a Christian. They don't care if you go to church. They could care less about that. But what they are interested in, well, as a result of going to church or as the result of having a relationship with Jesus, tell me, what are the benefits of that? How is your life any better than mine? What's your hope? And what are you putting your hope into? And how has that benefited your life? That's the power of the story because there's multiple, multiple benefits and so before they know how you became a Christian, they want to know why you became a Christian and what difference has it made since then. Because quite frankly, if you're just as miserable as I am after walking with Jesus for 30 years, I don't need him. Right? It's not that we're perfect. It's not that we don't have problems. And we'll, I share this when you're t- telling your story. Don't act like when you give your life to Jesus that your life's been perfect every day since because it hasn't. There's a lot of stuff we go through, a lot of things that we deal with. We're still trying to deal with the old stuff that we carried into that relationship. But there are multiple benefits. Somebody asked me, what were the benefits? If you've been walking with Christ for about 40 years now, what are the benefits of that? And I can start rattling them off for somebody. I'll tell you what the benefits are. Um, so let's break this down for just a moment. Um, if you became a Christian as an adult, as opposed to when you were a child, or maybe you rebelled and came back, or as a child, um, we want to break down, there's four, there's four basic um, areas of your testimony, four parts, and you'll see these on your outline. It's, what was my life like before I was, you know, I was saved, I came to Christ? How I realized I needed Jesus, this is really important, people want to know, how did you realize you needed him? Right? What, what, was, what was happening? How did I commit my life to Christ and the difference he's made in my, my life? So if you became a Christian as an adult, again, uh, look at some of the things. What are the common circumstances uh, that would be an unbeliever that could identify with in your life? Or here's, here's the one I go to. It's the last one. What substitute for God did you use to find meaning in your, and purpose in your life? There's a lot of substitutes we use to try meaning, find meaning, purpose, significance, and security in our lives apart from God. Because that's the way we're born into the world, right? We're born spiritually dead, separated from our creator. So we replace God and we, try to, we turn to something else to fill the need that we have in our heart. So it can be sports, fitness, success, making a lot of money, marriage, uh, drugs, alcohol, fun, entertainment. There's a thousand things we can use. So the ultimate question, what was your God? What was your God before God became central in your life? What did you turn to? Well, 
That's easy for me, and I'll share that when I share my story next week. I'm going to share my testimony, and I'm going to pull somebody up here and role play with them and share the gospel with them, and hopefully they'll be saved. I'm going to pick one of you that I think is not saved and bring you up here and say, no, I just... All right, how I realized I needed Christ, all right? So here's a key. What needs, hurts, problems made you dissatisfied with the way that you were living without God? How'd God get your attention? You know, it was for me, death of my grandmother. You know, I, I was raised in a single-parent home, five children. My mom's parents um, were very near and dear to me. I spent a lot of time with my grandparents Loved my grandmother to death, and she died suddenly. I was in sixth grade. She died of a massive heart attack at age like 62 or 63. And I had, a, I had a lot of questions about death. The problem is, by and large, my family were not believers, and they had no answers for me. And that started me wondering, well, what does happen after death? Are we just annihilated like you? You don't even realize you ever existed and that became my, my thought process. Well, it's like, I guess, you know, when you leave this world, you just annihilate. You don't even know you've ever been here. So eat, drink, and be merry because, you know, this is all we've got, right? This is the philosophy of many, many people. And it's what drives their lives. Like, man, get the, go for the gusto. Get all you can because this is all there is. And so that really started feeding. And then God strategically moved our family into my grandparents' house. Like where my grandparents lived, my grandfather moved out, and um, we moved into his house right next door to a family who had a son who was my age, and I, I had played baseball, and he was, you know, I was a teenager, he played softball in his, his uh, church league, and he said, hey, how about coming and playing softball? The only stipulation is you got to come to church once a week, okay, whatever, and so that's how it all got started. That's what got the ball rolling for me is that God was using something strategic, and I began to realize my need for Christ as, a, as I was going to youth group events and hearing the gospel, and God was churning. How, do I, how did I commit my life to Christ? What specifically did you do? Again, this is unique to everybody, but I just remember that there was one time we, we had a big bonfire. It was on, we had a dairy farmer in our church, and uh, he had a big bonfire at his barn, and we had, you know, it was during Halloween time, and he had to like a, a hay maze inside of there. I remember that people sharing their testimony, adults who were, who were overseeing the youth group and sharing their testimony and some kids start sharing and, and God just started getting a hold of my heart and, and just like, you know, Greg, this is really what you need and, and, and my life is so broken and, and I'm not making wise choices and I'm not heading down a good pathway. And then, you know, that Sunday... Um, I don't even know what, you know, Whip Ferguson was the pastor at First Baptist Heath. I don't even know what he preached on. Couldn't even tell you what he said. But all I know is when, this, when the invitation was given to come and to receive Christ to be the Savior and Lord of your life, it's like, it was like God was, the Holy Spirit was just like pulling my chest. I mean, just like forcing me down the aisle. I grabbed hold of the back of the pew like I shall not be moved. And, and and the spirit just gently, not forcefully, just gently said, if you'll take one step, I'll help you the rest of the way. Because I was a very shy person. I'm very introvert by nature. And I took that step and I made my way. God forever changed my life. Now the difference, that's the key. This is what people want to hear. This is what they want to know. What is the difference Jesus has made in your life. So I've given you what's called um, a, a testimony pyramid. And so let me help you with that. 
So at the very top, it says, um, let me see, it's on page nine of your book. At the very top, the least amount of time you want to spend, you know, what difference, what, what was my life like before I met Christ? You know, we spend some time there. Listen, you don't want, like, spend 90% of your time telling everybody how bad and horrible you were or whatever else. I remember one year we had a, um, a lay evangelism, or yeah, lay evangelism weekend, and people came from all over the country and they shared their testimony, and it was almost like it got into the testimony battle. Who could be the worst and the baddest person ever? Uh, because that may not be you. Um, so you don't want to spend all your time there. You just, hey, this is what was missing in my life. This is what I'm searching for. More time on part two on how I realized I needed Christ. Even more time on part three, how I committed my life to Christ. And then spend most of your time on part four. This is the difference it made in my life. That's what people are really interested in. Now, what if you became a Christian as a child, but you walked away from the faith and later on you came back? So I give you some instructions there on help you uh, as you're writing out your testimony and, and how you effectively share your story. Here's the key in there is to describe what caused you to realize you needed Christ to start redirecting your life. What, what it, where were you? What, what brought you to that point in your life that brought the turnaround? That like, oh, I just realized, you know what? This isn't working. I really need to go back to the Lord. And what was it for you? Now, what about those of you who were saved in a very early age? You never strayed. Well, you can point out some deep problems that you dealt with, like my wife struggled with depression, you know, growing up, and she's shared her testimony many times here in this church about her battle with depression, that just because you grew up in church doesn't mean you don't battle with things, it doesn't mean you don't battle with anxiety, that you don't battle with bitterness, and you don't battle with unforgiveness, and all these other kinds of things that we all commonly struggle with, they can be the common point that you jump into this conversation with somebody. So I give you suggestions for preparing your testimony, and I'm just going to hit on a couple of them. One is to keep it short and to the point. You should be able to share your story in no more than three to five minutes, tops. You want it to be that short. People don't know, to, they don't need to know all the dates and names and places. That's not important to your story. Um, it might be important to you, but it's not necessarily important to your story. Again, don't imply that all your problems went away when you got saved, right? When you gave your life to Jesus. Don't imply that, you know, I got no more problems after that. That's all good. Um, you're lying. Uh, mention the benefit of being certain of your destiny when you die. See, this was a big thing for me uh, when my grandmother died about what happens after death. So that is a part of my story. That's a part of my you know, my father left us, so I grew up very angry and bitter and resentful. And as a result of that, I turned to coping mechanisms, drugs, alcohol, uh, and other things. And so a part of my story, in my sharing my story, is I, I end with that. I, you know what? Now I know that there is a God in heaven who loves me, who created me, who died for me. And now I have a relationship with him. And I am certain that when I leave this world, I will spend eternity with Jesus, the Savior who came and gave us all for me. So that's, that's important for people to understand um, that you, you, you know where you're going, right? Um, don't exaggerate or brag about pre-conversion <laughs> sins, okay? This is not a bragging thing. Um, you know, I was just so... You know. Do not answer questions that people haven't asked. 
right? So be, you know, you're not getting off into apologetics, and apologetics simply means that you're going to you know, wrestle with people intellectually on why they need to believe in Jesus. Because you're trying to answer questions they haven't even raised yet. Um, give concrete examples of the changes in your life. Concrete examples. Don't be fuzzy. If it's fuzzy in your mind, it's fuzzy in their mind. They want to know, what are the concrete ways that Christ has changed you? Here's one. Do not dramatize nor embellish your story. You don't need to do that. This is your story. You don't have to, you don't have to lie about your story. You don't have to embellish it and make it better than you know, it sounds. Um, here's a, a big one. Use humor when you can. You know, humor just kind of... Um, it just kind of puts people at ease if they can laugh about something. So, uh, you know, I, I use a little humor about some stupid things that I did when I was away from the Lord, you know, and, and just and the outcome of that. So I give you possible testimony themes, how trusting Jesus has helped me deal with my and then what it's given to me. And I give you a whole list of that. How you exchange worry and anxiety for inner peace. How you exchange guilt and shame for forgiveness and a fresh start. Anger and temper for patience and love. And you can read all those. I think I've given you about 24 of them. And so you're looking for those common themes. What's a common way I can... These are things I experienced in my life. Now use them in your story. Interject them in your story because people are interested in that. So common ground circumstances. Um, I'm not sure what page we're on, page 11. Um, I give you a couple examples here, positive. Um, you know, could, you, you could, could you give a testimony about G, how Jesus helped you with any of the following experiences, like adoption, breaking a bad habit, financial gain, raising kids, marriage, strength. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff here. Or major crisis, abuse, you know, accident, addiction, abortion, bankruptcy. I mean, okay. So for me, addiction, death, and divorce, those three right off the top are in my story. Why? Because my parents divorced when I was really young. My dad left. My mom raised us. The death of my sister, I was 18 years old when she was killed in a car accident. My grandparents on my father's side died tragically at the same time. You know, so I have a lot of death stories, which you don't want to be morbid, but you can interject those when needed, and um, certainly addiction and those other things. So here's the very last bullet point on that. It says, ask, if I were an unbeliever, you always want to ask this when you're writing this out. If I was an unbeliever, would I understand what you're trying to say to me? This is why I say you need to write it out. You need to write it out. You need to practice it with somebody so that they can say, you know, that part in there, that seems a little confusing. I, I don't get how the connection of this, that. If you really want to be effective in sharing your story, you need to write it out. You need to share it with somebody and let them critique it so that you make sure it is as plain and as effective as it can possibly be. And here's the other thing. You want to make sure they get out all the Christianese language. All right. There are things that unbelievers do not understand. Like when I, you know, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, so I'm I'm coming fresh out of the gate here, and and I'm thinking, you know, like the word blessed. What does that mean, blessed? I, I'm not sure, but happy. Now people understand happy, right? Um, now, now Christian people get that. Or I was born again. I, I would. I don't understand. What does that mean, born again? I, even you remember when Jesus had his conversation with Nicodemus? It confused him. So Jesus used the term that Nicodemus like, what am I supposed to climb back in my mother's womb? What do you mean by that? So 
More effectively is something like, I had a life-changing experience, um, or I was given a new, fresh start. I was saved. <laughs> saved from what? No, my life changed in that moment. This is what happened. This is what I did. My life changed from then on. Jesus is my Lord. We understand those terms. But people don't who are unbelievers. It's like Jesus became my CEO. He became the director of my life. People get that. They understand that. I repented. Again, that's one of those churchy words. Uh, repentance means a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. So why not say that? Uh, I, this is the decision I made. I changed my mind that forever changed the direction of my life. People get that. They understand that. Am I making sense? Do you care? Okay. All right. Phrases to avoid uh, in your testimony. I just praise the Lord for, now I'm so blessed. Hallelujah. Amen. It's glorious. I was convicted. The Lord laid on my heart. Again, um, like if you, were, if, you, if you came up to somebody and said, hey, excuse me, have you ever been washed in the blood of the Lamb? They're going to look at you like, where do you come from? Like, are you kidding me? But see, we use phrasing like that, and here's, here's the distinction. Remember in Acts chapter 2 when Peter preached to his countrymen? These are Jewish people. They've been steeped in religion all their life. They've heard about the coming of Messiah all of their lives. And so Peter preached a message that they understood. They got it. But when you take the Apostle Paul and go to Acts 17, he is interacting with people who, like me, did not have any church background. They, they believed in hundreds of gods. They even had a temple to the unknown God in case they forgot one. And so when Paul spoke to them, he didn't come at them like Peter came after his countrymen. You've killed the Messiah. It's on your hand. You know? No, he, he came after them where they were, right? He started talking about their own philosophies, and, and then he did what? He, he led into his story about how he was on this a persecutor of the church, on the road to Damascus. The Lord Jesus came, you know, just pounced on him, and then he, he led it right into the gospel. Listen to me. We do not live in an Acts 2 society anymore. We live in an Acts 17 society. So you've got to match your language with the pre people that you're trying to communicate with. Even in my preaching, I do a lot of explanation about words I never used to have to explain. Because like when we go through the book of, of Romans, Paul uses some pretty technical language there. But I have to break that down because I know that people are listening online who are not Acts 2 individuals. They're Acts 17 individuals so that they understand. All I'm saying is put some effort into this. It is, your story is so, so powerful, and God can use it in a tremendous way if you allow him. But again, the end of the game is not just to share my story, but to bridge into the gospel. So uh, I give you some things on how to lead into your testimony in your book, uh, some suggestions there. It's on page uh, 12. You know, listen for problems or needs that Jesus helped you with, you know, uh, for example, in the second paragraph, you know, that you know, that used to be a big issue in my life. And I really struggled with that for a long time, but then I had a life-changing experience. Do you mind if I share with you how I came about having that experience? You know, people are like, yeah, yeah, okay. Refer to something on the news or on TV that deals with a common need or problem. You know, did you read? I, I can identify with how those people felt. 
I've given you some starting statements. It seems like life is getting faster and faster. Sometimes life gets so complicated. Life doesn't always turn out the way you planned it. You know, kind of like on the video, life doesn't always turn out the way you planned it. Maybe you've experienced a foreclosure on your house. And you're talking to somebody who's, you know, having a foreclosure on their house. And, you know, you know sometimes life just doesn't come the way we planned it. And it just doesn't happen the way we dreamed it would be. But, you know, that happened to me many years ago. You don't mind if I share with you how God helped me through that period of my life? So you're segueing into your story. Apologize to people maybe you have for a long time you haven't witnessed to, and this is kind of an introduction in how you can do that. All right, so let's move on to, let's, let's talk about sharing the good news, the gospel itself. What is the gospel? How do we share it effectively? Again, um, you can be saying the right thing in the wrong way and have it become very offensive to people, but you can also take that same information and do it the right way and it become less offensive. In other words, they're not going to immediately put up walls or barriers between you and themselves. Right? I'm not saying that the gospel isn't offensive because it is, because the gospel says that, you know, it says a lot about us. We'll talk about that later, but, you know, everybody's testimony is different. But here's the one part of our testimony that we have in common, and that is the good news of the gospel. Again, our story is a bridge, not a destination. We want to get to the point of sharing our story so that we can share Jesus' story as to why he came and what he can do for you. So um, it says, what is the good news? In 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, Paul states very succinctly what the gospel is in a nutshell. It's about the, um, the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Or I like to say it this way, Jesus in my place. I mean, Jesus took my place. He died for my sin. He, he stood in my place, and he was buried, and he was resurrected to authenticate who he was and what he came to do. So there are, there are five um, aspects of this, and I'm just going to give these to you. I'm not going to really elaborate on them, uh, but you need to keep this in mind as we're thinking about the gospel. And the gospel says this, that God became a man through whom? Say his name. Jesus. See, that's, that's always the Sunday school answer, okay? Anybody ask you, the, the answer is always Jesus. You can't go wrong with that. Uh, so God became a man, so what? So that I can relate to him. Think about if Jesus never came to planet Earth, how much we would have missed about God, our creative father. I'm reading a book right now. It's called, Is God a Moral Monster? Because people look at the Old Testament and they come to the conclusion that God's just an old, cranky, moral monster but they really don't have an understanding of the backstory about what God is doing. God's grace is found all through the Old Testament. And, you know, and then God got you know, happier and more um, content in the New Testament right through Jesus. Now, Jesus shows us. He says, you've seen me. You've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. So we see what the Father is like. Number two, Jesus died for my sins. It's a part of the gospel so that I don't have to. Right? This is so important. I don't have to die for my sins because Jesus became what? My substitute. Now, that's one of those big churchy words that Paul uses a lot about the substitutionary 
atonement of Jesus for our sins. And all that simply means is Jesus died in my place, so I don't have to. That's how you break that down. Now, God could have made me die for my sins, but instead, he sent a substitute, and his name is Jesus. So Jesus died so that I don't have to. Number three, Jesus destroyed death so that I can have eternal life. He destroyed death so that I can have eternal life. This is one of the important reasons why Jesus came and why the resurrection was so important to authenticate who Jesus said he was, the Son of God, and what he came to do, and that is to destroy death and to destroy the grave and to destroy sin and to heal us of our brokenness. Number four, salvation, this is so important, is a free gift. I don't have to earn it. 99.9% of people you will talk with when you ask them to share, if you would ask them to share, what would it take for you to get to heaven? I'll guarantee you it's going to be based on some kind of works salvation. This is what all other religions teach other than Christianity. Christianity says, Jesus came in my place, died for my sins. He's the one who gives me eternal life. Therefore, it is done. There's nothing I can add to that. All other religions say, well, uh, you got to do this, this, and this, and follow this teaching and do these things, and then maybe you'll make it. Right? So people think they have to earn. So my question always, if I see somebody, if, if I'm conversing with somebody and they're kind of moving in that direction, I just simply pause and say, let me ask you a question. I, I know that you're a good person. You do a lot of good things. And you think your goodness is going to get you to heaven. But can I ask you, how good is good enough? How good do you have to be? Do you, do, you, do you want to know what God's answer is to that? You got to be perfect. You got to be sinless. Therefore, not one of us is going to make it. Right? So that's a segue into the gospel. It's part of the gospel presentation. Um, number five, it's based on faith. So all I do is repent and believe. Repent and believe. It's not Jesus plus this equals salvation, it's Jesus plus nothing. I'm the nothing. I got nothing to bring to the table, but in order to move into this relationship with Christ, I must repent. Remember, that's change of mind leads to change of direction, and I believe. The word believe means to trust. I put the full weight of my trust in what Christ has done on my behalf, not on anything I bring to the table for salvation. All right, so that's the essence of the gospel. So there are a lot of ways you can present the gospel to people, and I've used a lot of different ways, but I think the three-circle approach is, is um, the most effective for me, and here's why, because you can write this, you can do this on a napkin. If you're at a restaurant with somebody, you can do it on a sheet of paper, and it's real important that you give them that sheet of paper at the end and let them have it, because you never know when they might be going through a period of brokenness and God all of a sudden brings them back to that conversation you had with them. So let me help you fill in the, uh, the circles here and just kind of give you the explanation of it as we go through. And I'm going to do this really quickly. We'll do a little more in depth next week. And so you want to, when you tell your story, you want to transition into the gospel, right? So one of the, there's several ways you can do that. But one of the ways I do is simply say, do you mind if I share with you something that really helped me? You know, I've, sh I've shared my story and then I, sh and I make that transition. And people, you always ask people permission. Because if they give you permission, now they're going to listen, right? 
And so here's what it says. The Bible says that God has a design for our lives. Uh, God cares about every aspect of our lives. He cares about our families. He cares about our, our values, our personal choices, our money, uh, our, our sex life, our jobs. He, there's no area of life that God does not care about and that he has designed for us. And the beautiful thing is, if we live within the context of God's design, then we experience God's blessings within the context of that design. But here's what I discovered in my life very early on. I didn't want to live in the context of God's design. I wanted to live by my own design. I wanted to go my own way, be my own boss, my own CEO. I wanted to call the shots. I didn't want anybody telling me what to do. You know what the Bible gives a name for that? It's called sin. Now, see, rather than just using the word sin, I've just kind of described what sin what sin is, right? What, I want to be my own boss. I want to go my own way. I want to do my own thing. And um, so moving from that is then I would say, you know what? I, I discovered in my life, and maybe you discovered this in your life. Every time I move into the realm of sin, it always leads me to the same place, brokenness. Now, you, we all know what brokenness feels like. It feels like guilt, it feels like shame, it feels like regret, it feels like uh, depression, discouragement, anxiety. This is, what, this is what brokenness feels like. I don't know about you, but when, I, when I'm in this area of brokenness in my life, my first inclination is, I'm going to fix this. And this is what the squiggly lines are about with the arrow. This is what we do. We try to fix our brokenness, and we develop coping mechanisms. And so those coping mechanisms can be very, very painful. They can be very um, not good for us, right? We medicate ourselves with drugs. We numb ourselves with alcohol. We, we run to, from one relationship to another, or we, we look at pornography, or we, there's a thousand different ways that we try to cope with our brokenness. And here's what I've discovered in my brokenness and my coping mechanisms, coping mechanisms is that the more I try to fix myself, the more broken I become. Have you ever noticed how many self-help books there are when you walk into Barnes and Noble? How many people are really getting helped? How many people are really getting healed and delivered from their, their brokenness? I've discovered I, I couldn't. In fact, the more I tried, the more bitter and angry I became. And so um, I tried to mitigate the pain of my brokenness and tried to escape in any way I could. But now I discovered something. That, that, my, that brokenness within me brought me to a point in my life that I realized that brokenness was really beneficial because it brought me to the point in my life I realized I can't fix myself. I need something or someone outside of myself to help me fix myself because I've tried everything and nothing is working. In fact, it's just getting worse. And then I'll share a little bit about pulling my story about how a friend helped me see and understand this. You know what? The Bible says there's a, there's a word in the Bible that talks about how God can forgive us of our sins and heal our brokenness. It's called the gospel. And the gospel is all about the Lord Jesus, that Jesus, God himself, came into the world. He became a man. And here's the incredible thing about Jesus when he became a man is that he lived a life inside of God's design. He never departed from that design. He never sinned, and he came into the world to be the savior of the world. And here's the incredible story is that when God 
allow Jesus to be put on the cross in my, in, in my place. It's in my place for my sins, not in your sins. My sins is that God took all of his wrath and all of my sin, and he credited all of my sin to Jesus' account, and then God poured out his wrath upon Jesus for my sin and for your sin. For me, that that's just blows my mind that God would do that for me. And then the Bible says that Jesus died. He, said, he cried out and said, it is finished. When he accomplished everything he needed to accomplish, he said, it's finished, and he just drew his last breath. They took his body off the cross. They put him in a grave. He had already told everybody, in three days, I will come out of that grave. And you know what? Three days later, he did. He came out of that grave. And the reason he came out of that grave was to authenticate who he said he was, the Son of God, and to authenticate what he came to do. He came to provide for my forgiveness and yours, and he came to heal my broken life, and he can heal yours. And the way I entered into that relationship with Jesus is I repented. I came to the realization, this direction I'm going into my life is going to land me in prison. If I don't change my ways, if I don't change the direction, I'm going to end up where I don't want to be. And so I changed my mind, and I chose to change and go to another direction, and I, ch I chose to put my faith and my trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross. You know, something amazing happened on that day that I gave my life to Jesus is that God forgave me of all sin and he started this process of healing me. In fact, I put it this way. God enabled me to begin to recover from my brokenness and to pursue a relationship with him so that I could live in the realm of his original design and live under the blessing of God rather than in my brokenness. And it's at that point I'll usually climax that by saying, let me share with you how, I, how God healed the relationship between myself and my father, the one with whom I harbored so much bitterness and what God's been doing since then. Now, it's there that you want to make a transition, right? Because you want people to make a decision. You, you, you lead them to the point where they say yay or nay to this, what you've put out there in front of them. You can say, you know, does this diagram make any sense to you? Where are you in this diagram? Or you might say something like, you know, is there any reason why you wouldn't today want to put your faith and your, your trust in Jesus and, and have him heal your brokenness and forgive you of all your sins? Now, let me close with this real quick. You're going to get one of three answers. When Paul presented himself in Acts 17, here's what the Bible says when he finished. Now, when they heard the, of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some joined him and believed. There was a red light, yellow light, and a green light response. You're going to get the same one of those three responses. A red light is, you know, they said some mocked, right? Some people, you, you go through this and they're going like, I don't want anything to do with this. I, I don't care about this. I, that's great that it worked out for you, but it's not for me, right? It's at this point, you don't argue with people. You don't put them down. Uh, you, you, you want to end it graciously because you want to leave the, the uh, bridge intact, uh, that you might have opportunity to speak to them at a later time. You might say something, you know what, I understand that. Um, and you know, I know this is a, a big decision, but here's what I always do. I always either fold up that piece of paper, napkin, whatever I've written out these three circles on, and I hand it to them. I say, will you at least take this and put it somewhere where you could find it in case 
there's a time when God may just say, you know what, um, let's go back to a conversation you had a long time ago. Here's the yellow response. The yellow response, it says that uh, some of them says, hey, uh, we will hear you again about this. All right? There are some people who are just not ready to make that transition to give their, their heart to Jesus. This is a huge decision for people because you've got to leave your tribe. You know what my tribe was when I was in high school? The partiers. When I gave my life to Christ, I couldn't keep hanging with that group. I had to change tribes. I had to leave all those friends because they just kept dragging me back into my old ways and move into the youth department, you know, at First Baptist Church Heath and, and hang with those friends. And that became my tribe. That's a huge decision for people that's making this. So again, uh, you may say something, you know what, you, you mentioned something and, and I understand that's a great question or a great idea. Uh, tell you two things you can do. You can say, you know, if you have any questions, we'll just let it lay for now. If you've got any questions later, call me, let me know. Or you can invite them if you have a Bible study group. Say, hey, you know what? We have a group of people that just meet every, every week for Bible study. How about, could you just come? Maybe you can come and, and just join us with that, and that might help answer some of your questions. Of course, the green light is that somebody um, says, you know what? You know, I am ready to make that decision. And this is where you lead them. You want to lead them in some kind of prayer of commitment. Now, let me just clear up some fogginess. I'm done. Um, there's no magical prayer. There's no prayer in the Bible that says you've got to pray these exact words to be saved. But you do include, I always include in the prayer, the gospel, um, in that just that Jesus, I'm, believe, I'm putting my faith and trust in Jesus, the Savior, Lord of my life, who, who died, was buried, and was raised from the grave. There's no magical, and in this, book, in this pamphlet, it'll give you a, a, a prayer that you can lead people through, okay? So I'm, I'm taking the guessing game right out of your hands. Um, this really messed me up for a long time because I thought, whoa, I didn't pray the right prayer. What if I didn't pray the right prayer? It's not about praying the prayer. If the Spirit is drawing them, listen, they've crossed that line the moment they said they'll pray even before they prayed, and God's already done his work. Amen? All right, you got a story? Share the story. Lead in Jesus' story. Share the gospel. Let's pray. Let's sing. Let's thank God for what he's done in our lives. And uh, we'll see you next week. And we'll talk about how to fish in your fishing pond, how to help people navigate towards openness to the gospel. Uh, let's bow our heads. Father, we thank